the Lord shut him in. Genesis 7:16. Noah was shut in away from all the world by the hand of divine love. The door of electing purpose interposes between us and the world, which lieth in the wicked one. We are not of the world, even as our Lord Jesus was not of the world. Into the sin, the gaiety, the pursuits of the multitude, we cannot enter. We cannot play in the streets of Vanity Fair with the children of darkness, for our Heavenly Father has shut us in. Noah was shut in with his God. Come thou into the ark, was the Lord's invitation, by which he clearly showed that he himself intended to dwell in the ark with his servant and his family. Thus all the chosen dwell in God and God in them. Happy people to be enclosed in the same circle which contains God in the trinity of his persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us never be inattentive to that gracious call. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. And hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. Noah was so shut in that no evil could reach him. Floods did but lift him heavenward, and winds did but waft him on his way. Outside of the ark all was ruin, but inside all was rest and peace. Without Christ we perish, but in Christ there is perfect safety." Noah was so shut in that he could not even desire to come out. And those who are in Christ Jesus are in him forever. They shall go no more out forever. For eternal faithfulness has shut them in, and infernal malice cannot drag them out. The prince of the house of David shutteth and no man openeth. And when once in the last days as master of the house... He shall rise up and shut the door. It will be in vain for mere professors to knock and cry, Lord, Lord, open unto us. For that same door which shuts in the wise virgins will shut out the foolish forever. Lord, shut me in thy grace. By C.S.C.H. Spurgeon. Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you. Um, that your word says that your mercies are new every morning, and we cling to that. I thank you for this writing, Lord, this reminder that we are shut in. And even though the world is dark, and the world is in torment, and just as Noah's world was, the world was dying around him. He was shut in the ark in safety, and in perfect peace, and in your peace. And we hold on to that today. That no matter what is going on around us, that we can sit shut in. The door is shut by the Master. No matter who may beat on them, they cannot be opened. Remind us of that today. May that be truth in our lives today. Father, as we move into this next time, and in the stillness of this moment, 
we put all the things of this world aside and we allow you to shut us in to experience your perfect peace to be uplifted by your spirit that our countenance would reflect your glory and that we would know that we are chosen by your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.
I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There've been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials only come to make me strong. Jesus, our Lord. Father, we are to be a people of hope. That no matter what we're facing in life today or what we would face in the days to come, God, that our hope in you will never disappoint us. So I pray to God as, as we come together today to just sit at your feet, to hear from your word. God, that we would find comfort God, that we would find conviction that would lead us to repentance. Father, that we would find strength yet to continue to endure. Father, we thank you that your word says that you would never leave us nor forsake us. God, that you would not abandon us. But God, that we have been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Father, that you've adopted us. You've called us your own. And you've given us the right to call you Abba, Daddy. I pray, God, that 
today we would put aside any type of distractions or mindsets, God, that don't line up with your truth. And Father, we would have a heart that would receive the fullness of your word. And that God, it will take root within us to produce lasting fruit in our lives. So that ultimately, God, our lives will bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Thank you. Um, we are heading to Mark chapter 10 today. But before we get there, we need to back, back, go way back to Psalm 139. Through it all. I love that psalm. Rather we're on the mountaintops or rather we're in the valleys. <clears throat> it's been an interesting week celebrating new life, celebrating graduations, celebrating uh, marriages, um, celebrating, you know, friendships, lasting friendships, um, and as well as mourning a death of a loved one. Um, Doreen, Melissa's mom, um, her husband passed away um, this week, I think it was Friday. Um, and so just a lot of different events have taken place this week, and as I've just been reflecting on them and just kind of just praying through them, you know, we all face different challenges. We all go through different seasons of our lives. And in going through those, I want to encourage us that these seasons come not to define us in a sense of being overwhelmed by them, but they're to mature us. They're to, to grow us. They're to make us more like Christ, if you would. That's the hope that we have, you all. And each of those, it kept bringing me back to, wow, time is so precious. So precious. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. We have all these different events that take place. We can celebrate. There's times of mourning. There's times of just whatever we could be facing. But we, what we have to understand is that time is just going. And I've been encouraging Ariana this past week, you know, that Ariana, each day you have a whole set of new hours before you that have never been lived. You know, don't waste them. There's hours ahead of us, there's moments ahead of us this day that we've never experienced, that we have never lived. Let's not waste them, y'all. Let's embrace what God has for us. Let's learn from where we've been so we can get to where we're going. So many of us, we stay trapped of where we've been. We're defined by all of that. But that's not what we're to be defined by. It could be easy. I've been there many seasons. Or my past has defined me. Where, you know, circumstances remind me of my past. And so I, I focus more on that than I do on, on Him. The author of life. And that's why it's so vital that we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, especially if we're calling ourselves Christians. In a day and age where our society is just spinning out of control, where darkness is, is advancing rapidly. But again, that's not to cause chaos in the church or scare us or you know, do anything in a negative sense. No, it should encourage us to, to fan the flame within us because there's work to be done. There's people to love. There's people to serve. And that's why I'm always going to keep bringing it back to us. 
It may not be a popular message, but it's his message. How are you serving? How are you serving others? How are you getting over yourself and learning how to serve others? That's what Jesus kept bringing it back to. As through all of his teachings, through every step that he took, his message, this is how you serve. This is how you love. This is how it's to be displayed so that all can see there is hope in this world. And it's found only in Christ through the message of, of love. Through the message that brings people to a place of repentance, a place of, of true sorrow for your rebellion towards God. Isn't it crazy when you really think about it? That rebellion is easier than obedience. Think about that. Rebellion is easier than obedience. At least for me, I would think that obedience would be easier. But it's not. Rebellion is. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to become prideful. It's easy to become lustful. It's easy to become just, you name it. <laughs> but it takes effort. takes a choice to say, no, I submit in obedience to Jesus. Giving my life to Him. I'm telling you, those drums, since I've been telling about that experience at the beach, those drums playing behind me, it has shaken me to the very depths of my being. Because it has challenged me with my faith. Like these people were waiting for the moon to rise. That was their hope in this new blessed season for them. They were putting their hope in the moon. And not in the one who created the moon. And I'm like, oh God, I've been so broken for the lost. I've been so broken for the church. I've been so broken for us. I've been so broken for me. Because it's challenging me like, God. putting my hope in every day that I get up. Where's your hope? Do we have it? We should. Especially as the church. See, church is not supposed just to be a place of uh, I'm just showing up and then showing off and then just going your way. No, it's who you should be becoming. You, you long to have fellowship. You long to connect with other believers. You long to find a place of encouragement, of edification, of building up. You long for a place where you can be transparent. You long for a place of accountability. Church shouldn't be a place where the games are being played and the same old mindset and the craziness and the manipulation and the lies and the division, all of that. That's not what the church should be. No, the church is a place that we can find encouragement to propel us to continue to go out there and serve and love others. Service. First unto him and then unto others. 
oh, how we need to, to daily humble ourselves before God and say, God, how can I serve you? How can I serve others? And in that, that we would remember that our hope is only found in Christ and in Christ alone. Don't seek fulfillment out here in the world. There's nothing that they can give you that's going to fulfill you. You know, this weekend I was kind of having fun listening to different music and, you know, listening to some old, old school music and, you know, just hanging out, you know. And as I've been reflecting and listening, I'm going, wow. God, I remember the days where if if I would have heard that back in the days, that would have been everything of me. I would have taken on that persona. I would have taken on, you know, that. That would have been my anthem for that day or for that week or for that month. And yet, it still left me empty. I watched a movie yesterday, and this leader, you know, came to power. And the country gave themselves to her. And yet she died, and they mourned her greatly. They idolized her, and yet, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking, I'm like, same it is as it was then, so it is in all world. We're longing for a Savior. We're longing for someone just to step in and to make our lives right, to fix us, to give us everything we need. And we're longing for it and we're searching for it. And yet all along he's right before us. All along he's like, I'm here. Like you can't get away from me. Like there's nowhere you can go to escape my presence. Like I'm here. I am here. What are you looking for? Why don't I satisfy? you. And all along, he's there. And so as I woke up this morning and as I was just praying through this week and all the different events and recognizing, like, God, where can we go? I was led to Psalms 139. Listen to these words. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. And you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. 
I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They they outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. O God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Oh, I love this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Where can we go? We're without excuse. Oh, I know we can play our games. We got one foot in the church and one foot out over here. I know that we seek to know, you know, maybe darkness a little closer than we ought to. And you say, oh, no, I don't do that. But no, really, if you really think about what you're thinking on, does it entice you? Does darkness, rebellion, remember, it's easy. Is it enticing you? Allow your heart to be examined. Allow your mind and your thoughts to be exposed. And again, it's not the weight of condemnation and shame and guilt and poor me and I can't do anything right. My life sucks. No. Because when you think of it that way, you're only looking at yourself. Get beyond yourself. Life is so much more than you. Life. And in the fullness of it. That God is with you. And look from even the beginning. He formed you. He knows you. Your, your days have been laid out. And He is with you. He loves us, yet though we're in complete rebellion towards Him, He continues to lavish His love on us in hopes that we would turn to Him. To turn to Him. And to remain 
in Him. Because as believers, if you're reading your Word, if you're finding encouragement in His Word, you would recognize your position is in Christ. You are in Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. That you're no longer of that rebellion. And when it creeps up, you need to deal with it. Cut it off. Cut it off. Don't even keep a little token of of, of memory of it. (laughs) Because it will erode within you. But no. You can't escape His presence. He's there. He's there. Oh, how great is His love for us. Listen, there's been seasons of my walk with Him that I... When I read that this morning, I was like, God, I remember. There's been seasons in my life when I would have rather called on darkness, hoping that he would hate me enough that he would leave me. Like, God, I'm not worthy. You know, I played that game. I'm not worthy. Oh, God. You know, know, but that didn't work because he was still there. So then then I would seek darkness. Then I would think upon the other darkness. And the things I used to do and how I used to believe that I could go into places and, 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 and just take in the darkness and, and think of murderous thoughts and just the lust and just the chaos and I'll just become dark again. God, he was still there. I was like, wow. Oh and I, there's been seasons in my life where I begged him, just let me go. And yet... He was there when I woke up. There are seasons in my life where I've told him, I'll show you then. I'll take back my life. I didn't ask for you. You screwed up my life. And yet, he's been there. It's like, oh God, I'm done. I go. You're there. I mean, I could. Any of us could choose to continue just to rebel and go our way. But his love, like every time I get a glimpse of his love, and just when I, at the moment when I thought, okay, this is it, but yet he steps in, and there he is, and his love, you know, and it's just like, God, why would I choose to continue to rebel against love when that's what I'm longing for, is to be loved, to be whole, to be at peace with God. That's a beautiful picture, you all. And so today we open up in Mark chapter 10. It's been a while to get here, but we're here. And we're going to see these events that are beginning to take place Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And if you remember, he's already told his disciples twice that he has to go to Jerusalem to die. So don't think that this trip to Jerusalem is a cakewalk for them. They know what's ahead of them. They know that the man that they're putting their hope in, this Messiah is heading to a place where he keeps saying he has to die. And if you remember, they're like, what does he mean? Why does he have to die? 
Remember, they're putting their hope in, 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 a, in a Messiah that they're only seeking Him to meet their temporal needs. Fix our lives now. Free us from the oppression of the Romans. And we will live. And He keeps reminding them, Oh, I'm much more than that, you all. They're marching towards Jerusalem. Jesus is going to fulfill his purpose, the cross. We've been talking a lot about the cross. It was purpose even before the earth was established. He knows his purpose. He's heading there. And on the way there, he's confronted. Yet again by the religious leaders. And they're setting out to trap him. We've tried everything else to trap him. Oh, but one thing we haven't tried is his view on marriage. Let's see if we can trip him up on marriage. Because if we can trip him up, then we've got him. Isn't it funny? I mean, it's been almost a month now, three weeks, since I've been studying chapter 10 and preparing to, you know, Share it with you all. So over these three weeks, every time I keep going back and studying through it, I'm brought back to the place of, it's funny to me that marriage has been under attack way back when. Not just in our generation. It's nothing new. For goodness sakes, it hit me, I think it was last week, John the Baptist was in prison because of his view on marriage. That's what he was in prison for. He kept running his mouth. And he died. He was beheaded because of his view on marriage. It's like, wow. And now these religious leaders, who they're, now they want to throw the law at Jesus. This is what Moses says about marriage. What do you say? You see, back in the days, in their days, women were not valued. Women were seen as just property. And men, if they were pretty much done, they wanted a way out. And because of our sinful nature, because we look beyond what we have and we want more. These men were willing to trade uh, their wife for the next wife. For the next wife and the next wife. And I don't want to go into a huge teaching or understanding, but you can go study this. There were these two philosophies that that came out from these two rabbis. One allowed men to get a divorce for this way, another allowed it for this way, and they're both looking at the law of what Moses written out, or wrote out, and allowed. One was twisting the words and was like, well, you know, if, if your wife lost her looks or, you know, was no longer fulfilling your needs, you can basically dismiss her. 
only men at that in those days were allowed to write a letter or certificate of divorce. Women had no value. They couldn't. They wanted to get out of marriage. The other view was if there had been, if the understanding of looking what Moses laid out, if there had been adultery, if there had been, you know, um, some form of ancestral relationship that the husband and the wife didn't know that they were relatives, if, if they um, was, were abuse in the relationship, um, then a divorce could be granted. But again, it was just, back then, just men who could write it out. So they came to Jesus <laughs> with the intent of not getting the truth, but with the intent of trapping him. They couldn't care less about what Jesus thought about marriage. Their intent was to trap him. Let's bring up marriage because if we bring up marriage, it always causes controversy. So let's see what this great rabbi is going to say about this. And then we got it. Oh, but don't you love Jesus? If you haven't studied chapter 10, we're about to open it. Jesus takes it further back. Be, first, beyond Moses, at the beginning. You want to know how God designed marriage? Between a man and a woman. Like Jesus says, oh, we can discuss Moses, but why don't we just go back from at the beginning of how God designed Marriage, And even in his wording, and as you, as you study this, if you really go in depth in your studies, and I encourage you, you know, to just don't take my word off this. You all should be studying the scripture. There's so many commentaries. There's so many resources available to you. Go study it. Because in this engagement, if you would, between Jesus and these religious leaders, Jesus once again, as he always does, brings value to women. Brings value to women. He lays out this understanding. And even in laying out, he is really to, to the point. Mark doesn't break it down as much as Matthew does. Mark's sticks with just the high-level point of what Jesus is laying out about divorce. And the church has been challenged throughout the generations of what do we do with people who are divorced? Should they be married? Should they not be married? And as you study through that, you're, you're going to find that Jesus' words lays out but then you have to take the fullness of the gospel. You have to take the fullness of, of Scripture. And then you also have to look at the fullness of being reborn and, 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 and forgiven. The forgiveness of Christ brings wholeness and healing. And as I've read many different commentaries and read many different things on, on where the church should stand with um, those who have been divorced, if they're truly repentant, if, they, if they've shown a life that has been reborn, if there's a newness of them, then you grant them the same opportunity as the next person to marry a believer. But Jesus had a lot to say about marriage. 
Then Jesus left to Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. And I just want to stop there for a second, because again, he's heading to Jerusalem. He knows his death is within reach, and yet he still has compassion. The crowds are still pressing in on him, and he still is giving of himself. We can stop and close the word today and be encouraged just there. Yes, we have our goals, and yes, we have where we feel we want to end up, and yes, we can look at all the different distractions in our life. But if people are pressing in, it is a beautiful picture of service. He was willing to teach them. Continue to show them the way of God. To continue to give these people hope. He didn't dismiss them. He didn't put them aside and say, well, I've got to get to where I'm going. I've got to fulfill my purpose. No, he was fulfilling his purpose as he was getting to his purpose. And same for us. If we don't get so caught up in our day-to-day, day-to-day routines... And that we just don't have time for others. Just how sad. They were pressing in. And just as they were pressing in, here we go, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them with a question. I love this. What did Moses say in the law about divorce? He took them to Moses because that's where they rest. (laughs) And the teachings and the law that Moses gave. So I love the fact that here they come asking Jesus, and Jesus in return says, basically tell me what you believe. Let me hear it from you. And so many times, that's another thing you can learn too, is that so many times when people ask questions, turn the questions back around on them. Not in a hateful way, but in a way because that's how you're going to get to know them. Especially those who always, you know, they have all these questions, turn it on, but what do you think? Or, if you know what their belief is, ask them. What is it that you believe in this? Instead of being so quick to announce your belief on them. Hear them out. I love how Jesus does this. Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. Ah, but Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. I don't know if you've ever studied these encounters that Jesus has with these religious people, he always exposes the heart. And so he does with us. He will always expose the condition of our heart. No matter how religious we look, 
no matter how much we can say glory, hallelujah, praise God, and all the religious wordings that we know, and how we carry on a form, he's going to expose your heart. It will be exposed whether you want it to be or not. And when it's exposed, it's up to you on how you respond to it. You can harden yourself, and you can blame everyone else. Or you can feel the weight of conviction and go, oh God, look how ugly I am. Oh God, I don't want to be that way. God, forgive me. God, heal me. He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. Remember I told you, but he, God, Jesus takes it back. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This beautiful picture of marriage. Of a man and a woman coming together as one. As one. Marriage, from the beginning, has been attacked. And I know, if you look at society today, marriage has been redefined, not by God, but by man. Unless you think I'm only talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about any form of that people call marriage when it's not marriage. Any form that people in their warped, rebellious mind calls marriage and it's not marriage. It's not a biblical definition of marriage. No matter how many years you've been together, it's not marriage. God's people should not take marriage lightly. Like when I was listening to Jen and Brian take their vows, I was like, God, that is such a beautiful covenant. And how sad it is in our generation, it's torn apart. It's of no value in our generation. The rates of divorce, the rates of, of, of shacking up, the rates of, of homosexuality, everything that's trying to redefine marriage, the rates are increasing. Oh, but not in the world. In the church. Glory, hallelujah. Praise be to God. And God is going, that's a stench in my nostrils. It's a stench in my nostrils. That is not what I designed. That is not what I purposed in. And you're to be a reflection of me. And yet, and yet, and yet, you continue to go in your ways of rebellion. And then we get angry with God. Because do you remember what we read in Jeremiah? Because that scripture hasn't left me. Like it is in me, all over me. Remember? Jeremiah was exposing the sin of God's people, and they were like, oh, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. 
And Jeremiah was like, um, take a look in your valleys. <laughs> Basically, take a look at your life. And then, instead of repenting, do you remember what they did? But we just can't help ourselves. It's just who we are. It's just what we like. No different than today. People of God hear truth and we're not responding to it. How sad. How sad. Oh, that makes you all, you know, all you think you're better than us or, you know, stop judging me. You know, whatever the excuses that we make when we make them, when we know we're not honoring God. Jesus made it clear. Look <laughs> what he says here. God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And you want to look at another picture of marriage, how serious Jesus takes marriage, as he says, my relationship with my church is an expression when marriage is looked upon between a man and his wife. It's like seeing in the physical my relationship with my bride. They came to trap him. Remember? They didn't come with the intent to really learn. They came to trap Jesus. Remember what I said earlier? John the Baptist was killed because of his view of marriage. Marriage has always been under attack. Always been under attack. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in his house, they brought up the subject again. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorce, divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. And I told you, you can go and, and study Matthew, carries it out a little bit more. Mark just kind of sums it up there. And again, it's not to put condemnation or you know, single out divorced people in the church and make them feel like they're not welcomed and there's no hope for them because we know that's not the gospel. There's hope, there's freedom in Christ, there's a newness, but your heart and your intent on divorce shouldn't be just to replace your spouse because you found someone better. In fact, divorce should actually be the last option. <laughs> There are seasons where married couples need to be separated because of abuse, because of, 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 of adultery, because of, of just the chaos and the brouhaha. But divorce should be the last option. It shouldn't be our first. It shouldn't be our first. I mean, I've shared with you all, Gilda and I have shared, in the beginning of our marriage, oh God, I wanted a divorce. God, I want out of this. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this. I was a runner. Many nights I ran out the door, slammed the door. I'm not coming back. 
God goes, yes, you are. Just I'm teaching you how to love. I don't want to love her, and I don't want to love you. How about that, God? I'll go my way. And remember what we opened up with Psalms 139? How could I escape his presence? He was there. And I would have to go back. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In fact, it got so bad, like our marriage was on, the, light, the, the, the line was about just to keep going, dead. There was a separation that took place little bit, though there was already a separation because we both really weren't in it. And it took a loving couple, Pastor Sammy and Shannon, to come alongside us. To remind us what marriage is and what love is. It's work, you all. Marriage is work. It's the two becoming one. It's a process. It's the beauty of it. And her and I can testify to you. It hasn't been a cakewalk. There's days where I'm sure we both are still like, oh God. But we've learned just to humble ourselves before God and before each other. We don't give up. It's in life, you all. You can't give up. You got to keep moving. But of course, if I was abusing her or screaming at her or tearing her down or she was running around from man to man to man to man, you know, and there was this utter chaos that wasn't bringing any goodness to it or reflecting the fullness of what it should be, it's just hurt and destruction and hurt and destruction and hurt and destruction. But I'm not looking for that. She's not looking for that. Her eyes are on Christ. And so we can endure through the stuff that comes up, the little stuff. There are some heavy stuff that marriages are dealing with. But you know what's sad? is that they're dealing with them on their own. They can't bring it in front of the church because less people talk about them. Do you know how many people have counseled? Not from here, from other congregations. And I encourage them, listen, we will encourage you, we will love you, but you need to go to your pastor. Oh no, I can't tell my pastor. What do you mean? know how the church will look at me. You know, or this or that. And I'm like, well, how sad. What do you mean you're not a part of a fellowship that desires to see people whole? Walking through life together. Doing life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How sad. How sad. Mary. beautiful picture you all of what God has designed 
So don't be confused on how man is changing it. Don't be confused with how, you know, our government's deciding how this institution should be or redefining it. Don't be confused by what you see out there. Know how God views it. And as Christians, we should be responding to how God views it. Because you tear apart marriages, because so what else you tear apart? Families. I read an incredible article, and if you haven't read it, I encourage you, go to True Freedom Fellowship's Facebook page and read John Piper's charge to the church on how to address homosexual marriages and them divorcing. He lays it out clearly. They're really not marriages in the eyes of God. No matter how much they want to pretend, they're not. It's a great point that he's listed out, but one of the points that he lists there is that the church better be ready in the generations to come on how to minister to these, the dynamics of these couples and their children. How, would we, how is the church going to respond when one of the partners come to Christ, true repentance, and turns away from that lifestyle and says, I can no longer, because of my belief in Christ, live this way. They have to legally, because of the law of the land, not because of the law of God, get a divorce, and they have to separate, but a lot of them now have, have children, so now what do we do with the children that are now presented to the church who have grown up in this environment, and love on them, and encourage them in Christ? I told you, when I first came to Jesus, I wasn't accepted by the church. Living those many years as a gay man, I wasn't accepted by the church. I was told I was of the devil. I was told that I would only come in and pervert the men of the church. I was told I was not allowed that I would need to leave. The church wasn't ready to address the issue of God moving among homosexuals, freeing them and delivering them from that lifestyle. They didn't know what to do. Nor did the church know how to respond at 9-11. Y'all remember at 9-11, the churches were over, I mean, flooded in with people. People were searching for some type of comfort. People were searching for God. And we weren't ready. And the reason why we weren't ready is because we were more about our business than God's business. I remember being part of a church during that time, and they were more concerned that they didn't have enough programs for the people. Instead of responding to the people in service and in loving them. And a great harvest came in. And yet, it flooded right back out. There's a great harvest that's going among the, the homosexual community. There's a great harvest that's coming among the, 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 the addiction community. 
There's a great harvest taking place within the Muslim community. There's a great harvest taking place, but the workers are few. Because we're so caught up with me, myself, and I. Come on, y'all. We've got to stop trying to redefine what God has already purposed. We've got to stop trying to redefine what He has already purposed. We've got to start becoming in agreement with what He has already laid out before us. Stop trying to redefine it and pretending like he's okay with it. Because lest we forget the, the psalm that we keep reading and I keep bringing back to us, God himself says, oh, you think because I was silent I didn't care how you were living. Oh, no, I care, and I'm coming, and I'm going to tear you apart. Oh, but pastor, stop preaching about the fear of God. Oh, really? You want me to? I can't. Because that's all he preaches. The wrath of God. But in His wrath, we know of His mercy. We know of His great love. But if we're not accepting His great love, then what we are going to receive is His wrath. And I keep challenging you all, why would you trade such great love for such wrath over temporal pleasures? Because right now this feels good to me. Mm-hmm. And die in it. It dropped dead now. And really, was that was worth it? That temporalness of life was worth it? You redefining, you know, marriage, you redefining how you want to live, you redefining what God's Word says, and you're fine with it? Ah. Careful. He who has ears, let them hear. I've said this before, and I say it when I'm counseling people who are in some deep-rooted stuff, how much sin is, is, is enough to get away with? How much of your rebellion is okay with God? I'd asked myself that years ago. There's been seasons in my life where I go, oh, God, why do I keep touching that? Oh, God, why do I keep thinking upon that. That's rebellion. Uh, God, I don't even want to be near it. I don't want to grow comfortable with it. What is in your life that's rebellious on full display so that everyone can see and yet you're calling yourself Oh, but God understands, Ralph, right? He understands your weaknesses. He understands your sinful nature. Get off it, Rob. I, I, God's okay with it. Really? How much is he okay with Because I challenge people. Please let me know. <laughs> because maybe I've got it wrong. I would love to go back. And I'm sure the rest would have loved to have gone back to their life. I'm sure the people who are laying their lives down in our generation would love to go back to some form of their life that they lay down. Have we forgotten that we are born again? 
We're not of the nature of rebellion any longer. You don't identify with the fall. You are now identifying with the cross, the resurrection. You are free people. You are no longer to walk in the ways of rebellion. Oh, but I'm not perfect. I'm going to sin. Okay, yes, you're absolutely right. But in your sin, you won't remain because you will remember, oh, I'm not to be there. And you get up. And you throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. And you continue to persevere, seeking after holiness and righteousness, this process of sanctification. Because remember, it's not about being perfect. No, it's about maturing and becoming more like Christ. It's about allowing your life to be a life of service unto Him and unto others. You want to kill the rebellion within you? Get your eyes off of yourself. Put them on Christ and the need that's out there. And you'll get beyond your rebellion. You'll live differently. You'll love differently. Jesus held up a standard. He said, you really want to know what I think about it? Let's go back to the beginning. What are you wrestling with today, y'all? Take it back to how God designed it and purposed it. Whatever it may be, maybe it's not maybe maybe it's whatever else is within you. What does God have to say about it? Remember, He's the author of life. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so He could touch and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Him. When Jesus saw what was happening, He was angry with His disciples. He said to them, "Let the children come to Me." Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Where is Jesus heading to? Jerusalem. He's already said twice to his disciples, I'm heading there to die. They don't understand this. Remember, I'm sure they're all caught up in the, the, the moment. They're, they're, they're lost in transition, if you would. They believe that He is the Messiah. They believe that He'll be the one that will bring order to their lives, but they're not seeing it from the eternal aspect. They're only seeing it from the temporal aspect. And so now these parents want to bring their children, and they're bothering Him. We're heading to Jerusalem. The moment is here. The moment is now. Stop bothering him. Jesus tells them, don't. Don't do this. He's angry with them. Why would you keep them from me? Why would you keep them from me? They lost sight. The purpose. And they only got caught up in their planning. Who are we keeping from Jesus because we've lost sight of our purpose and have only got caught up in our planning? This beautiful picture that Jesus lays out for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child 
will never enter into it. Anyone who doesn't come by faith, genuine faith like a child, children trust. I don't know if you ever noticed, but little children, if you put your hand out to them, the majority of them you don't have to tell. Their response is, They have such an innocence about them, unless it's been destroyed. Because <laughs> once the innocence is destroyed, boy, it awakens so much rebellion within you. When my innocence was destroyed as a child, being molested, being going through what I had to go through, rebellion awakened within me on a, on a greater level than it would have. It was always there because we're all born sinners. We're all born into that nature. You don't have to teach a baby to be selfish. <laughs> Adam, give them out what they want. They'll cry. They'll demand their way. But once innocence is destroyed, rebellion just ignites it. But there is an innocence. And they trust. And they just give of themselves. They trust. And so it is with us in, in this incredible picture. And I love what he says here. The kingdom of God. Lest we forget what this is all about. You come to Christ. You're engrafted into his kingdom now. You're living. You're an expression of his love to the lost. You are his ambassadors of his kingdom. You are to reflect him and everything his kingdom stands for. That's your duty. You're not forced to, but you, why wouldn't you? Because of such great love, you respond with such great love and now your life is lived in a way that honors him. And even in the moments that you fall, and even in the seasons where it's just chaos, you can still reflect such great hope in Christ. You don't have to be defined by your sexuality, by your looks, by your material possessions, by all the other junk of this world wants to try to define this. By no, you have found your worth in Christ and in Christ alone, and in that you have the hope and the strength to endure yet again another day. Oh, but careful what sin have you said within yourself that God is okay with. And you just keep living it. Because you're not reflecting Him. Whose kingdom are you representing? See, the world needs to see Christians be Christians. They need to see the kingdom of God being honored by your life when everyone else around you is dishonoring Him. Yes, you will be mocked. Yes, you will be persecuted. Yes, you're not going to be of the popular crowd. Lest we forget, these disciples, 
They're on their way to Jerusalem. And not only did he tell them, I'm going there to die, but also there you will be persecuted. See, we're heading to Jerusalem. There I will die, and there you will be persecuted. They're going to hate you because they hate me. He's he's laid it out for them. It's not a surprise to them. Why do you think they ran when he was arrested? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, they knew. He informed them. We're heading to Jerusalem. And oh, this is what they're going to do. And, and even in the hope, he said, even though they're going to kill me in three days, I will rise again. But they couldn't understand it because they were only looking at the temporalness of life. And now Jesus lays out this understanding about the kingdom of God and how one can enter in. by like the faith of a child. And this next portion of scripture, man, my heart always breaks over this. Because as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man had a genuine desire to be right with God. Let's not miss it. His intent wasn't wicked. His intent wasn't trying to trap Jesus. He had a desire to know God. He had a desire to live for God. Throughout his life, he tried to live in right standing with God. And even living in a right standing way of doing what the law may have instructed, he still didn't feel complete. So he was so hungry and he was so desperate to know what must I do to have eternal life? Because there has to be more than this. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, You must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Oh, remember what I said earlier? He always exposes the heart. The man was taking pride in what he was able to accomplish. I've kept all of these, Jesus. I'm a good person, Jesus. Look, I'm not as bad as Norma. Look, I'm good. I don't hurt anybody. My intentions are good. Look. There's still one thing you haven't done. Remember, Jesus has genuine love for him. Why do you think we feel the weight of conviction? 
not out of judgment, but out of genuine love. He loves you enough to expose your heart attitude. He loves you enough to say, no, no, that is more important to you than me. He loves us enough to bring conviction in hopes that we would respond with genuine love back to Him. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. Remember just how excited he was? Oh, I've done that. I'm a good man. Oh, but there's one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. And then, come follow me. That excitement, that boasting in and of himself is not there now. His face has fallen. That's not what I, that's not what I, I was expecting, Jesus. Um, what? And not only did his face fall, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Remember, I told you past few weeks. It's not bad to have relationships, and it's not bad to have possessions. They just shouldn't have you. It wasn't wrong for him to be wealthy. He was a rich, young ruler. He, he had a lot of wealth. But his wealth had him. And that's what kept him from Jesus. He loved his wealth more than Jesus. He loved material possessions. Yet though, within him, he was struggling with the understanding of desiring eternal life. It's the most craziest thing. He already knew there was something that was missing within the temporalness of what he has to seek after eternal life. And when it was presented to him, it's your possessions that are keeping you from me. It's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> now you're touching the wrong area. Eh, all right, never mind, God. And go. Those of you who have been around me long enough, you know my testimony. I was a very wealthy man. Everything I've ever wanted. I could have taken care of my family and then some. I could have traveled anywhere I wanted. I could have done anything. I'm on my knees. God's like, take nothing with you. What? Everything you've obtained. As clear as he said it then, it still rings in my ear. These words that he says, everything you've obtained, you've obtained in sin. They're of no value for you. The very fear of a child when I was a kid. I wasn't going to be poor. I wasn't going to be like my family. I was going to make something of myself. I set out to gain so I would never be in lack. That I would have some sense of belonging. That I would have a home I wouldn't have to move from place to place or a place that will always have electricity, a place that will always have running water, a place that I would be safe. Okay, wait a minute, God. 
the very fear as a child you're making me face because where am I going now? If I'm not this man anymore, if, if I can't take any of this with me, oh, trust me, my face fell. God, give me a couple weeks. I'll move some money around. In fact, the man that I was with, he would have been more than happy to give me whatever. In fact, he even offered, Rob, stay. We didn't have to be in a relationship. Just stay. Remember, he already came to a place where he was watching such a transformation take place in me. He told me, I don't know how to fight for you. I don't know how to fight against this God that you've given yourself to. If it was another man, I would fight for you. If it was a woman, I would fight for you. But it's God and I don't know how to fight against the one you've given yourself to. So he, already, he kept saying, you're a different man. I don't even know you. you are such, you're becoming such an incredible man. It's okay, just stay. He already moved into the other room. There were, the sex has already stopped. The intimacy was no, no longer there. And he was okay. You see, I could have stayed in my head. I'm going, wait, I could stay. Okay, wait, wait, I can move this around. Wait, oh, God, take nothing. Oh, God. And in the moment of wrestling, he revealed to me eternity. And in that revelation, I stood up and that, it was like things were just falling off. I was like, okay, God. I swung open the bedroom door. Rich was standing there and he was like, you're leaving. I'm like, yeah, I'm his. I don't understand all of this. I don't even know him that well. But okay, if this is what he wants, this is what I'll do. Because of his great love, how are you responding to his great love for you? What is it that you're holding on to that's defining you? Maybe it's not possessions. Maybe it's just your past because you're more comfortable being a victim than being in freedom. What is defining you? What's defining me? What's keeping us from the fullness of God's love for us? Because in the end, that's all it's going to be, you all. Do you recognize that? In the end, that's it. When you take your last breath, you stand before God. And when you stand before Him, He's, he's not going to be like, oh, well, let's see, Michelle. Let's see, Melissa. No. It's either, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in, or depart from me. I don't know you. Oh, but, but didn't I go to church? <laughs> didn't I read my Bible? Didn't I feed the poor? Didn't I do this? And didn't I do that in your name? And he goes, I don't know you because you never loved me. My judgment doesn't come from a place of, 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 of anger. No, my judgment comes from such a place of love because I gave you every opportunity to respond to my love, but you chose not to. You chose the temporalness over me. So I loved you enough to give you what you desired. I turned you over to it. Now you will spend eternity with it. Apart me and my love. Oh, laugh all you want with the world. Post all you want of all the foolishness that goes on in the world. 
Find your identity, your looks, your value in the world. It's only but for a fleeting moment. And then it's gone, Alexis. It's gone, Christian. You bet it's gone. Just for a moment. And we want to play games. We're, we're burdened to come to church. Oh, no, we'll go to church. People are dying left and right that are around you and you're not even opening up your mouth. Because you just got to be accepted by the world. Oh, okay. And that's what you'll have. This man came with a sincere, genuine heart. I want to know what it is to have eternal life. I've been good. I'm not like the rest of the wicked people. I've been good. I've done good. But there's one thing. You still don't love me. You still don't love me. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, because, because, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they ask. Oh, it's the same question we ask. Why do you think the church keeps loosening up? doctrines that have held for thousands of years in our generations are being swiped away and erased. Just not everyone in. Let's not deal with sin. In fact, there's a doctrine now within the so-called church that erases hell. There's a doctrine now that's crept into the church that says, let's stop calling people to repentance lest we offend people. Oh, we shouldn't be shocked. Remember, we've been told they're going to join our fellowships. They're going to sit down with us at our meals and they're going to try to weave in the watered-down gospel that gives you the right to self. Oh, come on, God didn't really mean that. Oh, he understands your weakness. Oh, yes, he does. That's why he sent Jesus. Uh, How do you see your sin? Like, it's hard for people to enter in. Come on, Jesus, lighten up. No, he says the road is narrow. Not that many people are going. There's work to be done, you all. That's why I want to challenge us. I don't care. I want keep doing it until I have no breath in my body, I will continue to challenge myself and I will continue, continue to challenge whoever's sitting here to get out there and live as one who is following Christ. i got nothing else for you. I tell you, I can shuck and jive like the best of them. I can perform for you, but years ago, God kept me from a platform and said, I didn't call you to perform for me. The hardest thing to do was to walk away from 
with the purpose of being the next big thing on TBN. That's what we can do for you, Rob. You'll be the next big sensation on TBN. Your ministry will grow at such a rapid pace. This is what we can do for you because we are your John the Baptist. God has called us to go before you to prepare the way for you and your ministry. I could perform. In fact, I'm a thespian. I'm an actor. Years ago, I was given my certificate as a performer. I can act. I can put on a show. I can cry with you on a dime. I can bring tears. I could do whatever. And I was learning how to do it. And how to take an offering. And how to make it. But everything else but God. Because I was going to be the next big thing on TVN. And God got my attention. And put the fear of God on me. I didn't call you to that platform. Oh God. And the response from my so-called John the Baptist was not pleasing. In fact, when she came busting down my door, moving Gilda aside to get to me, to my room, and to tell me a what for? I was on my knees. I forgot what I was doing, but I was there. And she was laying into me. Remember Joyce? My flesh wanted to stand up and take control of the situation. And just as I felt, God says, you stay down. Don't get up. I was not to be a puppet. You're not to be a puppet. You're not to be so caught up in what others expect of you in your walk with God. And how maybe they want it to look. No, we all just live for God. Just live for God. Be discipled. Grow up in your faith. Jesus is saying here, not that many are going to find it. Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But here's the hope, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Because when we read 2 Peter, do you remember why God is holding back his wrath? Do you remember why he's not returning yet? In hopes that people would come to salvation. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. (laughs) And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now and return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with (laughs) persecution. Have you ever noticed that there? Yes! 
God so much, and in doing so, so much is going to be given back to you. But don't forget, persecution. Unless you make it all about prosperity. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. There's your reward. Eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least least important now will be the greatest then. Oh, remember that theme I keep telling you? Jerusalem. They were now on their way up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Jerusalem. They had to ascend to get to Jerusalem. They, they were going up. We all know, because if they were following Christ, they knew what was ahead. It's all coming together. This is what we are expecting. The Messiah is about to enter in. He's saying that he's going to die, that he's going to have to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He's saying that we're going to be persecuted. The disciples all in all, they're not sure what to expect. The people who are following him are like, "Uh, there's some hesitance, there's fear growing among them. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he says. We're going up to Jerusalem where the man, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him and whip him and kill him. But after three days he will rise again. That line that he will be given over to the Romans, I can only imagine what was going on within the disciples. Wait a minute. We left everything for him. He's supposed to be dealing with Rome. I can only imagine what was going on within them. But we get an insight of what was going on with two of them. Because right after he says this, James and John... John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Now, remember what you just laid out. We get insight at least to what these two are thinking about. What is it your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Like when you finally deal with Rome and you take your throne, remember, they're looking only for an earthly Messiah. They don't have the fullness that he's the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom. But when you're sitting on your glorious throne, you want to be there. But Jesus said to them, "Um, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, oh, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say you will sit at my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones 
He is chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Here's how we should be living, you all. Remember that servant, the act of service? Whoever wants to be leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even when the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who are you giving your life for? Who are you serving? First to God and then to others. See, as a Christian, you don't need to worry about the temporalness of life. God is going to take care of you. I'm really thinking about the sparrow. How, if he would even take care of the birds and even the fields, he'll take care of us. Like, not just Christian news, if you listen to the secular news, like something's on the horizon, you all. Rather, it's this year, this month, or in the year or so to come, something is on the horizon that secular people, so unless you think I'm just going to promote just the Christian extreme, let's just talk about secular people. They're preparing. Something's coming. There may be a collapse in our economy and our government. One world initiative has already been set out. But you don't need to read the secular and that, just read Revelation. And through the prophets of what's to come before his return. Secular people are concerned about what's going on. I mean, just look within our own political environment. Our nation is running out of, is, is running amok. Things are collapsing. People are being paid to protest. America does not stand for America anymore. Our founding fathers and the vision of what America was to be has been stripped away from us. And if you talk this way, then you're looked at as the ones that are wrong. Our own nation is being mocked. The founding fathers and the belief of what this nation it was to be is being mocked by our first family in the White House. Oh, unless you think it's just Christians who are saying it, listen to the secular teachers out there on politics. And not just from the right, but also to the left. Something's on the horizon. But you know what? We weren't prepared as the church. Do you know why? Because it was on the horizon within the church years and years and years ago, but we did nothing to respond to it. 
more worried now about whether we should bake the cake or not. What kind of craziness is that? But aren't you a pastor? Aren't you a Christian? Yes, but I'm also to serve and love. If they want a cake, I'll sell them a cake. I'll be an expression of love to them. Doesn't change my stance. We get so caught up in the foolishness of it all that we miss the opportunities to serve and to love and to still hold our values. As children of God, we get so caught up in the hype. Trust me, I've been there. But we're missing it. We had an opportunity generations ago to respond to what was taking place, but we as the church didn't. And you know what gets me? As we blame the lost for the judgment of God coming to our nation, oh, but the judgment starts with the house of God first. So unless we stop getting up on our high horses and cursing them, we better start looking at us and what we have neglected to have done. We've neglected. We have eroded within. And heresy and false doctrine is just running amok in America. To whereas missionaries from Africa, from China for God's sakes, are burdened by the Holy Spirit to come to America to preach the gospel. What? And yet we keep gathering in our churches. Gathering in our churches. Conferences after conferences. Material after material. And yet our lives are not changed. What are we doing? What are we doing? These men. They were hoping. They were hoping for what they thought it would be. Praise be to God that in the end, when he rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit poured out on them, their eyes were open, they were like, oh, this is much more than what we thought. And then from there, they had a passion, they had a desire, they died for what they believed in. Here, they were questioning every which way. Here, they were caught up in the moment, but when the rubber came to meet the road, they laid down their lives. Oh, because it's much more than temporalness. It's the eternal. And that's why they were bold in their preaching. That's why they changed the world. That's why throughout the generations and generations and generations, God always has a remnant of his people on this earth who will not bow down who will not give in to the temporalness of life. They would be the light on the hill. They would be the voices in the wilderness. Something is on the horizon. Moral decay is rapid, rapidly just descending, descending, just everything is just falling apart. And God has so much more for us than what we've allowed ourselves to believe. God has so much more for us. 
That's why we've got to stop playing church. We've got to start being the church. They were heading towards Jerusalem. They knew what was ahead of them. Even with the wrong mindset, they still endured. You see, God chose them. And just as He chose them, He chose you. Follow me, He says. Follow me. Finally, in verse 46. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever been that desperate? Cry out for him. Others may tell you to be quiet. Others may try to silence you. But don't stop. Cry out, you all, from the very depths of your being. Cry out. When Jesus heard him, ah, I love this, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. This is the God in whom we serve you all, full of such compassion for you, towards you towards me, towards others. Beckoning us to come to Him. I don't know what's keeping you from Him. I don't know what your week has been like or what your morning has been like, but don't let anyone or anything interfere with your coming to Jesus. With your coming to Jesus. And listen, it is vital when you come, you respond in a way to receive the fullness of His love. That's what He has for you. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to wallow in guilt and shame. Oh, no, no, no. Just come to Jesus. He loves you. His desire is that you wouldn't continue to go your way. No, your life will change. If it doesn't change, uh, then you didn't come to Him. So don't fool yourself. You are not going to find that anywhere in Scripture. No, your life changes. Jesus Himself tells His disciples, and Luke, if you follow me, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. Remember, because you're born again. You're born again. And in this newness of life, you have a desire to learn. Because listen, when we come to Christ, when we bow our knee, when we, when we accepted Him, we didn't change in the essence of the temporalness. But inners, we did. We're born again. We have a new nature within us. 
Oh, Galatians tells us that the flesh and the spirit are still at war with each other. Oh, yeah, those urges are still there. Oh, the only difference is they don't control you. I'm not controlled what my urges used to be. No, I've learned because I've been discipled. See, when you come to Jesus, that's not it. You're not finished. Now you have to walk it out. You have to grow. You have to mature. You have the desire to be discipled. To be that servant. First unto God and then unto others. Don't look for your position to change. If your motives is to come to Jesus for your positions to be changed, then your motives are wrong. And he knows that. So you can't manipulate God like you've manipulated man to get what you want. That's not how it works. You may think you're getting away with it, but in the end, ta-ha. How foolish you were. This blind man was desperate. How desperate are you this morning for the love of God and for the work of God in and through your life? He was, and, and Jesus says, bring him to me. So they called the blind man, cheer up! Aha, I love that, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Oh, that should be a message for the church today. Cheer up! Jesus is calling you. Cheer up! Don't let your circumstances to define you. Oh, you could choose to submit yourself to it, but why would you? When the one who loves you, who has formed you, as we read earlier in Psalms 139, who you're, you can't escape His presence. He is there. He's beckoning you to come. Cheer up. Great days are ahead for you. And in those great days, understand this, that also includes deep, dark valleys. Because that's how you grow up. Stop trying to think that Jesus came just to give you this blissful life. You don't see that anywhere in here. You're going to be challenged. And don't look at other Christians and go, oh, I wish I had their life. They seem to have it all together. The ones who seem to have it all together have the majority of sin hiding. Because they're good at hiding it. Not everybody has it all together. And that's what's wrong with the church. We all think we've arrived somehow and that we're better. And so we don't want to share our struggles with others. What are they going to think of me? Who cares what they think of you? Care more about how God views you than how man views you. Cheer up. He said, come. Come to me, he says. Cheer up. Listen, you're talking to him. You're hearing from a man who battled with depression and anxiety. The majority of my life, I've laid around. Enslaved to my mind, to my emotions, because of the abuse that I endured, because of the abuse that I caused, just the junk that I did. Oh, but when he called me, what? You love me? He loves you. I don't know where you're at. 
is calling you to himself. There's work to be done, you all. <clears throat> Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Instantly. Are you seeing today? Or are you blind spiritually? Do you really see Him? How are you responding to Him? How are you responding with the sin that is in your life that is controlling you and mastering you? Romans 6 is very clear. Sin is no longer to be your master. Jesus is. We all have a story that we could tell. We all could tell of our rebellious ways. Remember what I said earlier? Why is it easier to rebel than to obey? That old nature, that nature that we're born into, it's craving to destroy you. That's what rebellion does. It leads you down the wrong path. Why do you think the Word of God says, set before you is life and death? Choose life. You all choose life. Let's live, you all. Let's get up from where we've been. Let's throw off the sin that so easily has entangled us. And let's choose to live with purpose. With purpose. So when you finally take your last breath, You live a life on purpose. You've lived a life giving to others. You've lived a life being an expression of love to others. And in that, you'll hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. See, we got to get up got to begin to truly see Him for who He is. Careful what you're hearing out there. Careful what you're putting your hope in out there. What you believe will define you. And what defines you is how you'll live. I had a lot of addictions. I had a lot of issues going on in my life. And if I wanted to, they could define me again, but why would I choose? I know what they only gave me. So I don't make light of your, of your struggles. I've said that over and over to you all. I don't make light of where you're at in life. I've been there. But I know. And I've tasted freedom. And I don't want to go back. Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So live as that. Stop making excuses. 
get up and desire God. Because He desires you. Amen? I'm going to close with a song of worship. I'm going to close this in prayer.
to more than I